on today's episode of The Leadership Drives. There is a section of the original six acres where over 800 um, free and enslaved African-Americans were buried. Um, as the cemetery expanded, those people were unceremoniously dug up and moved to the, the northeast corner of the cemetery, that what is now the historic African-American burial grounds. Mm. The land was retilled and sold to white families. Mm. These people in death were treated with great disrespect. How can we, as a city, as communities, how can we learn about ourselves today if we don't understand where we've come from? If we're debating a certain policy or a certain idea, mm -hmm. we need to understand where that came from. Welcome to the Leadership Drives podcast. Now here's your host, Mylena Sutton. Hello, podcast family, and welcome to The Leadership Drives, the podcast where you are invited to travel with me as I endeavor to study leadership in its various forms. I want to know how and why people lead, whether on or off the clock, paid or unpaid, at home or beyond. As you probably know, so much is written about the universal aspects of leadership, but context is where the rubber meets the road. In turn, I look for leaders whose contexts are anything but textbook. My goal is to understand what leadership looks like in their unique corners of the world. Now, I know I just said that I believe that context matters greatly. This is true. What is also true is that I believe the ways in which a person's labor, whether paid or unpaid, on the clock or off the clock, at home or beyond, I believe the ways in which a person's labor supports their highest and best vision of themselves is equally, if not more so, important. The lengths to which leaders will go to connect their inner drive to what they do every single day is captivating. This nexus is so remarkable to me that I prefer to meet my podcast guests in person. Whether it means a trip across the country or a simple drive up the New Jersey Turnpike, my goal is to understand the trade-offs, the choices that people make to gain alignment between their personal and professional lives and how that impacts their ability to create visions that other people can embrace. So first, uh, again, thank you for inviting me. This is a lovely space. Um, welcome, I, welcome back to Atlanta. Welcome home. Indeed, I'll be here uh, by the time this airs. Uncle Frank's birthday will have happened. That was one of the reasons for coming home. I was like, oh, I get to see my uncle in some favorite spots in Atlanta. <laughs> so I'm glad to actually be here. The grounds are lovely. I don't know what it takes to actually keep this place going, but it is absolutely lovely. So how do you keep the grounds because this is a massive, this is a garden. This is not yeah. a cemetery. Yeah, well, it's it's like you said, um, it's it's not your mama's cemetery. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's a city of Atlanta Park. Mm -hmm. It's a National Register historic site. Mm -hmm. It's an active cemetery. There's still about 20, 25 burials a year. Um, we have 
gardeners on the Historic Oakland Foundation team who who work in certain areas. The city of Atlanta has a landscape crew mm-hmm. that takes care of some areas. Um, it's a big undertaking, and you know it's it's forty eight acres. That's the, and and someone recently was like, well, you know, um, some city of Atlanta parks are. $7,000 an acre of maintenance. And here in Oakland, it's like thirty, forty thousand $40,000 an acre because each individual grave is gardened the way it would have been in 1850, which is individually. No two lots look the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what makes it special. And that's what makes it beautiful and unique, but it also make, makes it an expensive undertaking. So wow. it really puts the onus on our fundraising, our, our events that generate a lot of revenue. And, um, you know, just sort of, that's part of the business model of, of what we're dealing with. But it's a it's a special place. It's a beautiful place. We're here on the porch, and it is just gorgeous today. Even on a kind of steamy steamy July day here in in Georgia. Indeed, indeed. Um, when you say that, taking into account how special it is uh, affects the cost. What does it cost to run a facility like this? What's your, if you can share? Yeah, What's I mean our cost? our budget this year is a little over five and a half million dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Historic Oakland Foundation. So we're a nonprofit organization. We work with the city and that's just our budget. Um, the city contributes another $750,000 through staff time and materials and, and um, utilities and, and security. Um, you know, and that's that's where we are right now. I mean, if if the full if the cemetery was fully restored and we're in the active process of restoring the cemetery, we we Historic Oakland Foundation have restored twenty of the forty eight acres. If everything was restored, everything was gardened the way that some of our sort of um, nicely gardened areas are, you know, we think that that annual maintenance is about two million dollars. We're not there right now, but but that's where we're heading as we restore more of the cemetery. When you say restore, yeah, we have people that fix the the walls fix the walkways um if a stone falls over they they reset it if uh if there's cracks and damage they they fix it um you know we have preservation technicians and then we have some subcontractors who do a lot of our big masonry work our retaining walls our walkways um you know i think especially when you say cemetery people think of arlington cemetery with all these little stones in rows well you know here in oakland this is a sculpture garden this is a this is a um you know, this is a place where there's just stones and trees and benches and pathways and everything sort of mi- mixes and mi- mingles together, and it just takes a lot of a lot of money to to restore an area. So we're looking out at this area right here, which was restored 15 years ago or so, and it's kind of our model show home of of this is what the whole place can look like when when it's fully restored. Um, but you'll walk around and you'll see some areas where the the walkways are janky and okay. the tree roots have ripped them up and the stones have fallen over and there's coping on the on the sidewalk and you know okay. we we're going in a phased approach okay. so we're trying to restore this this whole place very soon but you know it takes a lot of time and energy and money you are listening to my conversation with richard harker executive director of historic oakland foundation and cemetery located in atlanta georgia Have you ever met someone and thought, I bet he's great to work with? That's what I thought from the very first conversation I had with Richard, even prior to our podcast interview. His warmth and thoughtfulness were perfectly balanced 
by his expertise and his own personal professional growth journey. He sugarcoats neither the work it takes to help small teams morph into more professional organizations, nor how life has impacted how he leads and sees the world. Now, back to our conversation with Richard. You said there are 25-ish burials a year. Yeah. How much capacity do you have? Well, the whole cemetery is sold out. Okay. Um, and it sold out in the 1880s. So it was founded in 1850, expanded to its current size um, after the Civil War, and then um, sold out. Um, but, so each, each of the lots is owned by a family, but there are lots of spaces. So some families are still in contact, okay. and they... Um, you know, they, they are like, oh, that's where grandma so-and-so is going to be buried. And they, they know that. In other cases, we haven't heard from the family in 80, 90, 100 years. And so those are kind of abandoned. Um, and, um, and there is a formal process that you can go through with the state of Georgia to sort of reclaim those. And we haven't done that in, in a couple of decades. But I think in the 80s, they... they did a sort of a reclamation process on some of those abandoned lots, but there's, you know. So when you say abandoned lots, you mean like nobody is buried there yeah. or the. F- yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. So the family, you know, the, the last time that there was a family contact was 80 years ago. There's four burials in a 12 space lot and there are eight empty spaces. Okay. One space is one regular burial or three cremations. Um, and you know, so so part of what Historic Oakland Foundation does is take care of this place for those families who have have gone away, have mm-hmm. have moved away, have lost contact, and um, you know aren't here to be able to care for the, the cemetery. Gotcha. Now, this is a dark question, but I was reading something <laughs> where you don't necessarily have ownership of a plot forever. I was reading somewhere that after maybe a hundred or so years, that maybe the property could be used for something else. Is there any sort of thing like that where, you know, your time expires, somebody else could go in there? Not as far as I know. Like I said, I think if you have, if your family hasn't been in contact with Oakland Cemetery or the city of Atlanta for 75 years, and there is a good faith effort to make contact and no contact is made, then you the the city could go through a reclamation process and reclaim these spaces and sell them again, almost like an abandoned house, you okay. know. Um, but, as you know, these the families who have owned these, you know, some of these families here have owned their lot since 1850, and That's it. they're still in good standing. They're still, still wow. doing their thing. That is amazing. There's a cemetery in Philadelphia. Um, it's called Laurel Hills. Yeah. I did a tour there, and I don't remember the woman's name. I was just actually kind of tickled, if you will. She hated the dark. So she left money in her will to be in a mausoleum with a, can- with a lamp. And they never turn it off. Oh, they go in wow. a couple times a year, change the light bulbs. Um, huh. This woman absolutely didn't want to be in the dark. And there's another woman who loved fresh flowers. So she's been there for 80, 90 years. And there's still enough money left in the trust that she left. She gets new flowers every week. So my question to you is, do you have any interesting stories here about people like that? Well, I, you know, I mean, it's so fascinating how people want to be remembered, how they want to spend their, their next existence. Um, here in Oakland, we call um, the 70,000 people buried here, we call them our eternal residents. Okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's 
Um, there's 57 mausoleums, so and some of them are you know 100 some years old, and they're lavish and elaborate and reflect the fact that you know in their lifetime people had great wealth and could afford these these really impressive structures. Um, and then there's really simple stones, or in some cases, no stones at all. And um, so one of the things, as we have school kids that come and visit here on field trips, we like to think about um, how do people like to be remembered? What does it tell us about them? Um, what does it tell us about their personality? And um, yeah, I mean, the, the very first burial here at Oakland in 1850 was a guy called Dr. James Nissen. And he was, um, he was, he got sick, he died, um, and he was the first true burial here at Oakland. Um, and he was, like many people in the, the mid-19th century, he was so scared of um, being buried alive that he um, had a another doctor cut his jugular vein after he was dead to make sure that he was actually dead. Wow. Which is pretty bleak. <laughs> <laughs> that is terrifying, yeah. actually. Uh, but, you know, that wow. was... That was not uncommon at the time. People... I don't people, want to know that. People... <laughs> but, you know, it's so interesting, especially now where so many more people are choosing cremation. Um, there are some people that are vehemently opposed to cremation. They just want a traditional burial. Some people are still building mausoleums. Um, you know, so it's really personal taste. And I think what is so fascinating about cemeteries is... They they reflect our the culture, you know. They reflect the diversity of, of mm-hmm, they do. this rich, diverse place that is complicated and complex and not without many challenges. But um, you know, you kind of see everything, and you know that's that's what's beautiful about Oakland. How are you guys being affected by uh, changes in um, environmental um, expectations and policies? Because I'm thinking about a cemetery in Westchester, Pennsylvania. It's a green cemetery. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what it's like in the South in terms of if those kinds of uh, burial grounds are starting to creep up here and what that actually means for a place like Oakland. Yeah, I mean, so Oakland is a city of Atlanta cemetery and the sexton of the cemetery is the manager, Sam Reed. He's been here for 25 years and um, he and I were talking about this recently. So, Green burials are not a thing here at Oakland right now. It's cremation or traditional burials. Um, but certainly that is a, a thing where you know people are, are very much more interested in that today than they've ever been before. Mm-hmm. I think where the environment and, and climate change and sustainability has sort of come to the fore for us is in our landscaping. Um, you know, we, we're looking out over these beautiful gardens and things will grow here or won't grow here you know that that would you know we have we have some things that would grow 10 years ago that won't grow anymore because of the way the climate has shifted um at uh right before christmas we had a really really bad freeze where the temperatures dropped down into the single digits it destroyed most of the rosemary here at Oakland. Now, rosemary is a thing you see in cemeteries everywhere. It's evergreen. Rosemary is for remembrance, as as um, Shakespeare said. Um, and most of ours died and never came back. And so we've had to take it out and replace it or, or find substitutes. And so, you know, we're, we're thinking, you know, actively about how do we, how do we garden? Mm-hmm. 
given those those changes in climate, but also how do we garden in more sustainable ways? So um, we've got a, an incredible staff here who are thinking really thoughtfully. Um, and there's a young guy, Iron, on my staff who is a pistol. He's so dynamic and he's thinking about how do we conduct our horticulture in more sustainable ways. So could we plant clover instead of centipede grass? It'll look the same, but it'll require 30% less maintenance, which means less gas or electricity for the mowers, you know, less less staff time, which, you know, financially it's a good thing for us, but it's also, you know, environmentally a good thing as well. So um, I think in the next five or so years, and especially as we start to work on our next strategic plan as an organization, we're really thinking about environmental sustainability more more intentionally than we've ever done before. You know, I mentioned to an older relative of mine that I wanted a green burial, and I was telling her what I learned, and she's in her 90s, and she looked at me, she said, baby, have you let your life insurance laugh to you not telling us? It sounds like something broke people do. <laughs> She was not feeling it at all. <laughs> that is so funny. Well, and generationally, how people think about the cemetery is really interesting. Um, and also about burials, right? And I think so, too, about cremations, too. Yeah. I know in my family, a cremation or a closed casket, you might have mutiny in your hands. They, they are not feeling that. They are right. not feeling that at all. Right. Yeah. But you mentioned earlier that cemeteries tell us something about... Not only the culture, but the way an individual wants to be remembered speaks to their personality. What does working here tell us about your personality? <laughs> like, how did you get here? Oh well, those are those are two uh, interrelated questions. Um, gosh, well, so I have always been a a history person mm -hmm. um, since I was you know a kid. That was always my favorite subject in school. Um, I grew up with parents who are teachers and our summer holidays were driving around the UK, going to castles and cathedrals and museums and, you know, historic places in, in England and, and Scotland and Wales and Ireland. And um, so that's always been part of who I am. And I, I, for the longest time, wanted to be a history teacher. My mom was a high school history teacher. My dad was a high school headmaster um, before they retired. and. That was always what I wanted to do. Um, I'm from a family of educators, and I don't know why we are the way we are, but but that's always what I want to do. And then um, when I was in college, I sort of discovered the world of museums and historic sites and realized that there was a broader way that you could be working with the public and engaging with the community. Um, and... So I worked at a, a history museum for six years before I came to Oakland, and I've been here for six years. And um, to me, the thing that drives me, that's, that I'm most passionate about, is connecting with community and, and being a place for community. Um, and, and what that means is, even though we may know the most that we about some of the people buried here, we may know more than the public does about, you know, one of the people buried here in Oakland. But what we need to do is listen to the community and be responsive to the community. And so um, that's really my passion is is being a steward of, of this place so that people can enjoy it every day and in different ways and finding new ways and diverse ways and inclusive ways to enjoy it. Um, and like I, like I said earlier, you know, I don't think of myself as a cemetery person, even though I am the executive director of a cemetery foundation. Um, but Oakland is, 
has something for everybody. Mm-hmm. And whether it's history, whether it's nature, whether it's gardens, whether it's just walking your dog because you live in an apartment building nearby every day, whether it's just a place of tranquility for your mental health and your respite, um, there's something here for everyone. And um, to me, that's what gets me up in the morning. That's what excites me about this place. And, um, you know, finding, it's such a special thing. It's, it's, you know, I've been so fortunate to, to you know, work in, in really great institutions and, and to be at a place like Oakland that is so beloved and people appreciate its value and in a city that hasn't done historically a great job of taking care of historic assets. Historic preservation is not Atlanta strength. Um, historically, it's, it's an important thing. Here we are less than a mile from the Capitol building, right in the heart of the city. And we get a chance to take care of these historic 48 acres and, and you know, hopefully make them stable and safe for the next 150 years. The whole idea that Atlanta um, doesn't necessarily focus on historic preservation is interesting, um, particularly given how we've talked about how discussing history is changing. Mm. How has that shown up for you here? Um, Since you mentioned we have lots of monuments here, I can't remember where I was as I drove in yesterday from Asheville, but I drove by the, I think it was the Confederate Museum where a place off the highways had come here. And so given that this place has been around for quite a while, I'm pretty sure you have some interesting history here and probably a bit of controversy in some ways. That's right. And, um, yeah, I mean, o- Oakland Cemetery has all of the city's history. And and we like to say the good, the bad, the ugly, the pride and the prejudice. Like this is, you know, we've got governors and mayors and senators, you know, and we've got a, segrega- a segregated historic and African-American burial grounds that were segregated until 1963. Um, we've got, uh, you know, people who couldn't afford burial places and um, who were sort of indigent, um, yeah. you know, rich, rich, poor, famous, infamous, not known to the history books. I mean, it's all here at Oakland. Yeah. And the the larger political, cultural environment around history is really challenging. Um, we're not a scared, we're not scared of the complexity. I have a PhD in history. We're we're not we're not we base our our the way we talk about the past in evidence, um, in in current scholarship, in best practices, but we also try to create a space for people to learn. Um, and so we're not going to shy away from some of the ugliness of the history. Great example is um, there is a section of the original six acres before the cemetery expanded to its current size, where um, over 800 um, free and enslaved African Americans were buried. Um, as the cemetery expanded, that land where those 800 people were buried became the highest point in the cemetery. Those people were unceremoniously dug up and moved to the the northeast corner of the cemetery, that w- what is now the historic African American burial grounds. Mm. The land was retilled and sold to white families. Mm. These people in death were treated with great disrespect, you know, sacrilege. Um, it's an area of the cemetery that today we call Slave Square. That is not a pleasant history. The city, the city 
the city elders at the time in the 1880s, you know, blessed that. They they authorized that. Um, you know, that's that's not something we're proud of, but we're going to tell happened. that story. Mm-hmm. It's going to ha- it happened, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I really believe. You know, I think the the adage about um, you know if you don't learn from history, you're destined to repeat it. I think it's a little bit overused, a little trite, but um, how can we, as a city, as communities, how can we learn about ourselves today if we don't understand where we've come from? If we're debating a certain policy or a certain idea, mm-hmm. we need to understand where that came from. And I also think, you know, we approach our work with empathy as a central facet, a central idea, which is if we can, if we can learn about other people, that's going to bring us closer together, bring us closer to charting a more just and equitable future. Um, so we're not scared of it. We're not, we're not running away from it. It's complex. It's ugly. It can make us uncomfortable. We have to get okay with being uncomfortable. Um, we have nearly 7,000 Confederate soldiers buried here at Oakland, um, alongside 16 Union. Um, the Civil War happened in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. It was real. Mm-hmm. You know, the Confederacy was fighting to uphold the institution of slavery. Um, that that history is what it is. It is what it is. Um, and we are going to tell that story. It, it shaped the city of Atlanta. It shaped the people's lives who were buried here. It, it shaped the cemetery's landscape as well. Um, it's a big reason why the cemetery expanded to its current size. Um, we're going to try and be nuanced, knowing that not everybody always want. People don't often want to engage in nuanced conversations. So how so how do we as an organization help get people to have nuanced conversations and yes. discussions without lecturing or preaching or making people you know turning people off? Mm-hmm. And that's that's our challenge. That um, is a challenge. And how it, are you working on that? Because that's tough. It's a journey, and we have, like I said, I, I will talk about how great my staff is all day long. Um, they they are wrestling with that. You know, we our programming stretches from walking tours to um, you know school programs, adult programs, big events, and I th- you know we're not perfect. We we haven't we haven't um, nailed it yet. It's it's a journey. Um, I think some of our bigger signature events. I think we've done a better job than in some of our other areas, but we're always trying to innovate. We're always trying to improve. And, you know, one of our challenges, if you want to put it that way, is that we work, we have 300 regular volunteers here who are an amazing group of people, love them, can do what we do without them. They're giving tours. They're working in the Vista Center. They're gardening. And um, all of our tours are given by volunteers. And so how do we empower our volunteers and train them so that they are comfortable handling difficult conversations and potentially difficult interactions with visitors who are hearing things that maybe go against what they learned in school or what their personal beliefs are. And, you know, as you're training a volunteer, that's different than working with a staff member who has a master's degree in you know, education or, or public history who, you know, has spent many years reading and studying this. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's an ongoing project. I think like everything is we're not we're not done. Um, we're we're in this really interesting period of growth with um, 
we're at the tail end of a capital campaign. We're sat here in the bell tower, which is, this is the first time we've ever had a programmatic space. Okay. Um, we're about to build a new visitor center, which is gonna have programmatic space and allow us to expand how we do what we do at Oakland, how we share the cemetery. And so with the physical expansion comes the sort of the intellectual interpretive expansion of as we design new programs, as we do bigger or different things, how do we, how do we sort of stay on top of best practices um, and, and really approach our work with the idea that by learning about the city's history, all of it, not shying away from it, um, visitors will have a more nuanced understanding of this place, of, of this city, of their communities, and you know that's going to be informing a better city as people think about the future. Wow. I am. I can't imagine walking that fine line because one of the things I was thinking about as you were talking, it's one thing to educate your staff, but you're seeing people from all walks of life in terms of yep. visitors cemetery to the cemetery. One of the things I just thought about is, do you have to ever deal with people having uncomfortable or staff members being involved in uncomfortable confrontations? I'm like, does that kind of thing happen or? Yeah, and and it does. Um... I was going to add the caveat that because this is a cemetery, people approach Oakland with a certain level of respect and sacredness and solemnness that maybe isn't true of our colleagues in history museums who certainly deal with some of the ugliness in very profound ways. But um, yeah, I mean, we have... Yeah, I mean, you know, we have visitors from all over the country, yeah. all over the state. And, you know, we're in the city of Atlanta. We're here in the heart of the city and our neighborhoods are, you know, young and politically progressive and, um, you know, politically blue, I guess. And But we have visitors who come from, you know, way out in, you know, sort of outside of the city in much more, you know, uh, conservative, lean-in areas, um, you know, and with how history is being politicized, you know, we we like to think of people as people, but certainly, you know, the way that people approach the past is, has become a sort of hot political issue. And so, um, yeah, we've, we've, you know, on, on all sides of, of politics, we've, we've received a lot of feedback and criticism from people who, you know, you're, you're too woke, you're, you're too liberal, or you're, you're not liberal enough, you're not woke enough, you know? And so um, it's, that's, that's a reality of doing what we do in, in 2023. How does that show up on your board? Um, how does it affect your fundraising efforts? Because now I'm thinking, I feel like a horrible person when I say this, but I'm just gonna say it. I think if you were an independently wealthy, who cares what they think? I'm gonna say what I'm gonna say. Right. But when you're also trying to do a lot of things where you need to raise funds, uh -huh. how does that show up? And is your board fully on board? Or are you also trying to help corral them to getting on the same page too? I mean, I think, you know, as you, as you were just asking that question, I was thinking about one of the sort of primary things that I have to deal with in my role at Oakland is bringing people in around an idea. Um, whether it's the board, whether it's the staff, whether it's our 300 volunteers, whether it's the community writ large, whether it's our political leaders. Um, because we have so much going on here at Oakland, 
Everybody has an idea for what it should be. Everybody feels like you know it means something to them personally, which is incredible. You can't you can't buy the the connection, but you're also trying to lead an organization and and achieve strategic goals and and move the organization forward. And so you're sort of building support. You're corralling people. Um, so that's a big part of what I do. But I think what we do, what I do, is we rely on evidence-based interpretation. So everything we do is passing the sniff test of, you know, what is best practice in the field. Mm -hmm. That may be contrary to what some politician is saying on television, but it is, that's our, that's our North Star. And then the other thing that's sort of more of a emotional approach to how we, how we approach the past or talking about the past is, and I, I think this is true of everything we do here in our work, and, and this is one of the things that I think about every single day is how do we approach our work with grace? How do we how do we acknowledge that everybody comes from a different place, has a different different experience, a different journey, a different you know educational background, and how do we have space for that? How do we? But we also are going to keep keep our north star of evidence based interpretation and so you know we're not going to malign people for disagreeing with us we're not going to we're not going to get upset when someone says you know so you know a member of the public um, criticizes us for, for one thing or another but you know how do we how do we use those criticisms and those ideas to better grow our practice and inform our practice um, and yeah and, you know fundraising is is always a game of um, making sure that you're putting the organization in the best place to succeed. And part of that, the business of this is, is fundraising, right? Um, and um, we've certainly received pushback from donors and, and the public on various things, con you know, controversial historical issues. Um, and I think we try to be really transparent with our donors and our funders and talk about why we're doing what we're doing um, and, and our rationale and just be sort of practice radical transparency of, um, you know, this is, this is what the, the primary sources say. This is, this is the current scholarship and, and this is why we're talking about it in the way we are. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I've had to learn in my leadership journey, which has been hard but it's been it's been really a, a journey is you also have to be comfortable with people disagreeing with you and walking away. You know, people have a choice where they work, people have a choice where they volunteer, people have a choice where they invest their money. And this might not be the place for everybody. We we want everybody to give everybody. their money to Oakland. I wish a hundred percent of people in the state of Georgia were making big donations to Oakland. <clears throat> That's that's unrealistic. And if if somebody feels like this doesn't align with their values, that's okay. You know, I understand. they, I understand that, yeah. you know, and I want them to support something they feel comfortable with. They earn their money in a, you know, hard earned money, right? Like people do, do what they do and, and can invest where they invest. And so I hope that we, you know, are transparent and, and operate with integrity and with grace and, um, you know, can talk through complicated issues and, and hopefully, take some of the emotion out of it so that we can have open conversation. But e even then, if we've done that and someone says, you know, I just disagree with how you're talking about the Confederacy, or I disagree with how you're talking about black history. Okay, like, 
okay. will agree to disagree, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we are an evidence-based organization. I get that, I get that. You just listened to part one of our interview with Richard Harker of Historic Oakland Foundation and Cemetery in Atlanta. We hope you'll check us out for part two. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Drives podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe, share with your family and friends, and be sure to tune in to the next episode of the Leadership Drives. Leadership Drives.